amplifying voices from development perspectives and field fisher. Hello all and welcome to the final episode of the Amplifying Voices podcast series, which is a series aimed at challenging stereotypes and sharing the stories of refugees settling into Ireland. My name is Gorney O'Callaghan and I will be presenting this episode focusing on the legal challenges that refugees face regarding family reunification and obtaining proper accommodation in Ireland. Firstly, though, I'll introduce my colleague Zoe Richardson, who's with me here today and who'll be helping me discuss this. Hi, everyone, and thanks very much for listening to our podcast series this afternoon. Uh, I'm a partner in Field Fisher's Public and Regulatory Department based in our Dublin office, and I think this is an area of law that, that I'm certainly very interested in. I'm really looking forward to chatting to Gronia this afternoon about the legal framework uh, in which refugees find themselves in Ireland, and I hope that our listeners find it insightful. And by way of background, um, I'll also just explain that I am a solicitor working with Zoe on the public and regulatory team in Field Fisher as well. I've worked in this area now for about six years, having trained with the firm. And outside of my work, I'm also a keen advocate of human and environmental rights. I have represented development perspectives, TROCRA and Civicus in various projects around the world and on different areas uh, to do with development. And it's certainly something I'm very passionate about. I, I really look forward to this project and to learning uh, some from these very insightful participants. Well, let's get straight into it, Gronia. I have a few questions for you. Um, I suppose the first question I want to ask you, is there a right to family reunification? So there is a right to family unity, which can be interpreted sometimes as family reunification, but really the right is in relation to family unity. And that's recognised in multiple different international laws. For example, it's it's recognised in the Universal Declaration on Human Rights as it the the family is regarded as the natural and fundamental group of our society and that it's entitled to protection in our society. This is also recognised in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, to which Ireland is a state party, and in the EU Charter on Fundamental Rights. So there is recognition, but it isn't expressly clear that this extends to family reunification. And Gronia, what's the position in Ireland? Um, I understand there's a, a 2015 Act, the International Protection Act, that's relevant. What difference has that made um, in terms of refugees seeking to unite with their family members? Well, exactly. There is a 2015 Act. It's the International Act 2015, and it replaces the Refugee Act of 1966. It's changed the landscape quite significantly in terms of family reunification and it has significantly narrowed the categories of people who now can apply for family members to be brought over to Ireland. So the position now under the 2015 Act is if you are an adult and you are applying you can only apply in respect of your spouse or civil partner provided that you were married or the civil partnership was dated and enforced before you applied for your own protection or you can apply in respect of your child again, so long as they are under 18 and unmarried at the time that you applied for your application for protection. If, however, you are a child applying, well, then you can only apply in respect of your parents and your brothers and sisters, provided, again, that they are under the age, age of 18 and, and unmarried. So this is quite different to, to what we used to have, which allowed a, a much wider cat, a number of people to be applied for. It included grandchildren, grandparents, siblings over the age of 18, and it wasn't so prescriptive. So I suppose the 2015 Act, whilst it has 
put a framework in place, it has also been criticised somewhat for being quite narrow uh, and perhaps uh, eroding a little bit onto the right of family unity. That seems more restrictive. And, and what was the international reaction, Gronje, to, to the introduction of, um, of this Act here? So the 2015 Act has been condemned by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission and the UN Refugee Agency is seriously retrogressive. So I think it's frowned upon in the sense that it has narrowed quite significantly the, the categories of persons who can uh, be brought over. And not only has it narrowed the categories, but it has also implemented these timeframes such that when a family member is granted the permission to travel over, they must do so within a certain time frame to be determined by the minister, etc. And it just has these much more prescriptive rules as to what used to be there. So really the international reaction is that it, it, it is a regression rather than a progression. And interestingly, actually, what we had in 2018 was an effort by a, it was a private members bill that went through our uh, Roctus, and it was trying to undo what the 2015 Act had done and expand the categories, but this hasn't gone anywhere. It's just been sitting before the dole and it, it might not. Very interesting. Um, and Gronje, I suppose in your view, what's been the most notable development in, in Irish law concerning the right to family reunification? Well, very interestingly, actually, Zoe, in 2019, there was a case before the Irish Supreme Court. It was X and the Minister for Justice and Equality. And this case questioned the definition of child within the 2015 Act. And it, it essentially asked whether or not child is limited to only your biological or adopted child or a child factually that is part of the family, albeit not your adopted or biological child. And the UN Refugee Agency argued very strongly in favour of a broad interpretation of the definition, such that it would include all children who are part of the family as a matter of fact, irrespective of blood. And the, the case, I suppose, didn't go in our favour in that the Supreme Court did hold that the definition should be interpret, interpreted to apply only to biological and adopted children. Although there was a silver lining to the case and that related to how, how DNA testing should be utilised essentially or when it should be resorted to. And the Supreme Court did say that DNA testing should only be resorted to in cases where serious doubts remain. And this is bearing in mind, of course, the very significant implications that arise when such testing is re resorted to, I suppose, on the right to privacy. And it seems then that DNA testing won't be the default or the norm in these kinds of applications. Exactly. So I suppose now, whilst we understand that children who might form part of the family matrix won't fall within the definition of child, DNA testing won't be the very first and uh, the routine approach to identifying that. And Gronia, I understand there might be another pathway for, for refugees to apply for family reunification. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, this was a very interesting idea, actually. It was part of the Irish Refugee Protection Programme that a humanitarian admission programme was launched in 2018. The programme is additional and it's complementary to the existing rights under the 2015 Act and it essentially sought to allow a number of refugees in Ireland apply for their family members to be brought over. So there, initially the project was, it was expected that it would apply to 530 persons and in fact it ended up being extended to apply to up to 740 persons. And there have been two calls for applications under this programme. So far, 
it seems that about 606 family members of refugees have been brought over. And the very interesting part of this project is that actually it doesn't narrowly interpret family member in the same way that the 2015 Act does. And it, it allows for you to apply for your grandchildren and your grandparent, parent, etc. to come over. So it has been regarded as quite a, an innovative and uh, forward thinking humanitarian admission program. And that's an ongoing uh, program, Grania, is it? It's ongoing, but the, the calls have to be opened by the minister. So at the moment, there have only been two calls uh, and a further call would have to be opened if, if further people were to be considered or if further numbers were to be allowed. And I think... Um... Moving on, I think earlier this year, uh, the government published what was called a white paper on direct provision, sort of aimed at, you know, maximising the, the the integration of refugees here. What are the key changes that, that are uh, proposed in that white paper in relation to accommodation? And I, I think probably the, the employment market is also going to be of interest to people. It will, absolutely. So the white paper proposes very extensive reforms in areas such as accommodation, healthcare, integration, labour market access, education, all sorts of areas. And I think it came from immense pressure coming from the NGO sector and us civil society members as well after COVID and throughout COVID when the direct provision centres, I suppose, just became infested and there were awful concerns about the standards that people were living in and the different standards across the different houses etc and the human rights of those people who are who are living there so the white paper was welcomed as a new approach a forward-thinking approach where we move away from this concept of of refugees living in developer-owned sites essentially to now moving into a state-run reception and integration centres for a period of four months and after that four-month period into community living essentially and so this this new concept in relation to accommodation applies to those applicants who are making an initial application for protection so it doesn't apply to program refugees who already have their international protection but to applicants and when they come over so for the purposes of just integrating into our system it is anticipated that there would be a four-month settlement period in an integration centre. And during this four-month period, the uh, the refugees, I suppose, are they're met with and their needs are identified so that they can be linked to the appropriate services, including employment services. The idea is that the accommodation will be own door for families and own room for single people. And then that there would be special tailoring for people with vulnerabilities. And after the phase one, it is anticipated that those refugees would move into phase two accommodation, which is in the community. And there, it is expected that there would be a number of allocations in each of the counties so that you don't have, say, six towns in Ireland, which host all of the all of the refugees, but rather that there's a strong integration around our, our entire country and that there are appropriate needs and opportunities in each of the receiving communities as well. So it's a very distinguished and different concept to what we have at the moment. And it does seek to encourage uh, much, much better integration. 
Gronje, thanks very much for that. I think that was all, you know, really interesting and really insightful. And it, it seems like there, you know, there there are proposals for change, um, but it really does remain to be seen what impact they're going to have, um, and and some of the concerns that say the UN Refugee Agency has flagged. Uh, there'll be a real focus on on, on those and uh, on how this uh, develops going forward. Exactly. We'll have to wait and see, Zoe. I think it's a very interesting white paper. It's a very interesting landscape at the moment. And of course, with what's going on in Afghanistan at the moment, we can anticipate that there will be a myriad of other applications coming down the line. So it really is very important that Ireland, you know, gets organised and actions this white white paper as soon as it can, taking into account all that is recommended by the Irish Refugee Council as well. I think that's right. And I think it, you know, any any anyone who's been reading the news over the last couple of days in relation to Afghanistan it's really brought into focus um you know how, I suppose the the difficulties for refugees and uh, uh how that how those systems operate in in the various countries that that might accept refugees Absolutely. um Thanks very much, everyone, for, for listening to us today. We hope you found that useful. And, and obviously, if if ever anyone has any questions, uh, please feel free to contact uh, myself or Gronia uh, in Field Fisher Solicitors, and we, we'd be happy to, uh, to assist. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed all the episodes of the Amplifying Voices podcast from Development Perspectives and Field Fisher. Amplifying Voices from Development Perspectives and Field Fisher. <laughs>